Judges 13 through 16. We do have a lot of reading this morning, but it's a neat story. And most of you guys already know that story right there with Samson. And uh, the title of this message is Step by Step into Slavery or into Sin. And uh, we're really going to look at his life and see what happened as far as his compromise and uh, where he ended up in the end and, and how he got there. And uh, it'll just be an encouragement to us. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 13, and we'll go ahead and get started. Go ahead and pray before we get into it. Lord, we're so thankful for our mothers, um, all the things that they put up with us, and how much they've loved us through all the things that we've uh, either broken their hearts over, Lord, or, or frustrated them in. And uh, just thank you so much for our wives that, that raise our children up to love you, Lord, and um, we're very thankful. We're, we're so thankful for what you've done and, and just what uh, moms have done in our lives, Lord. And uh, we just praise you for it. And Lord, I just pray for the group as they're out in Israel that they'll have a great time. Uh, they'll be blessed by getting to see the things and, and the places where you've been and where you went. And they'd be encouraged and uh, just their faith would even be more strengthened as they see that the geography and the history really does exist. And uh, it's a true story, Lord. And uh, just as we go this morning through your scriptures and the example you gave through Samson, Lord, I pray that you just touch our lives, that the Holy Spirit, you just speak to us and pierce our hearts, that we would be able to hear and also do what you're convicting and telling us to do, that we could draw closer to you and uh, bring praise to your name. And uh, Lord, we just ask these things in your awesome, wonderful name. Uh, Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 5 on chapter 13. And you guys know that judges, that you go through judges, and you guys remember the reoccurring theme as they're done with one judge, it says, then Israel was perfect and followed after God in all their ways, right? It says that they did what was right in their own eyes, right? Or that they continued, to, or they went back and did evil once again. And so that reoccurring theme's happening. Uh, this is right after uh, Japheth and the conflict, and then it goes on to Ibzan and Elion and Abaddon, all these people that the Lord was putting in Israel's lives to help them out, and they kept returning back to the evil. And so again, we see this in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So right away, there's a lot of things put on this guy's life from the womb. And I think that this, Samson's a great case for anybody that says that a child is not a child in the womb. If God is already asking the mother to take care and the Nazarite vow begins before he's even born, that's a person, right? If it was just a piece of tissue, then absolutely that wouldn't happen. The, the, what, would, what would she care? Because if it's a part of her body, then God wouldn't say that because she doesn't have the Nazarite vow. It's Samson that's going to be born later, but he starts it right off. He tells her before, 
This is what's going to happen. I don't want you doing this. Already the Nazarite vow needs to take place while he's still in your room. This is how important this is. So very clearly through Scripture, and it's sad that anybody would take Scripture and say that it's completely legitimate to go ahead and abort a child that's still in the womb and try to say that through Scripture that that's the way it is. There's so many different verses in there, though. It's, it's just they're cheating themselves, and it's sad what they're doing. It's, they're, even they're compromised to life. So we get into a Nazarite vow. What is that? You guys have heard it. Uh, over number six is where it gives the whole line or all the, the different statutes that they need to follow. And it was a very strict uh, vow to God. So over there, I'll just read real quick. We're not going to go over to number six. We will a little bit later. But just to give you guys a brief summary of what is a Nazarite vow, it is separated unto God, okay, or made holy unto God, completely separated. Uh, it's a very difficult vow. It has uh, a life full of nothing to do with the vine, so no grapes, no wine, nothing like that. You're not allowed to touch any of that. Uh, no vinegar. So a lot of liquids taken out. And the water wasn't the best thing back then, right? Like there was a lot of times that those vines were looking good. That was the good juice. They didn't have very many choices. So that's taken out. Uh, no haircuts, right? No haircuts. And then the last one is no dead bodies. They weren't allowed to touch dead bodies. They weren't allowed to be around them. It said even if the father or mother dies you're still not allowed to touch them. So it's very strict, very strict. And so as Samson is called out to this, to be set aside or separated unto God, it's because God has this purpose. And there was people that would take a Nazarite vow because they wanted to draw closer to God. Just like nowadays we would maybe even fast, right? Because we want to draw closer to him. So we bring the body in submission so that every time we're thinking about food or something, we go back to God and we just strengthen our relationship with him. Well, the Nazarite vow was like 10 times that because <laughs> everything that they wanted to do, it would lead them back to this vow that they had with God and it was very hard to follow. So now we'll get into it a little bit later, but when a, a Nazarite touches a dead body, which we're going to see Samson actually does, what it would do to him is they would actually equate to sin, they had to go back, and you can read about this in Numbers 6.11, but he actually had to go give a sin offering to God, shave his head like mine, and take all his hair and start completely over, and then it said those days before were lost. It was a big thing that he would give up. Now, we never see Samson do any of this, which is very interesting, in just his life of compromise. But that was what was, that, that's what they wanted him to do. You can go back and read that. And so in the, it says in, in Numbers uh, 6.12, it says, In the former days it shall be lost uh, because the separation was defiled. The separation, the holiness that he was asked to be in, was defiled from touching that. So, now we're not going to go through the rest of 13. The rest of 13, what it talks about is basically, um, you know, the angel comes to Manoah's wife, talks to him, and then Manoah says, Hey, I want to hear it too, you know, Let's have this angel of the Lord come back and speak to me. Well, angel of the Lord comes to the woman again out in the field, and she comes and brings her husband. They sit down and talk with it. It's a whole interaction between the angel of the Lord. I think it's a very good case, and we won't go into this morning because it's a, very, uh, uh, it's a great study to go into just about, is the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it the Messiah? And I think this chapter really is a great scripture to look at and see where I believe that it is, and it talks about it just because of how it relates and even how they said, you know, we're going to die because we've seen God. Well, if they just saw an angel, that probably, you know, 
wouldn't have happened. Anyways, whole other thing, whole another case. That's what chapter 13, if you guys want to go through it on your own time and look at it. Awesome part of scripture. You can do a word search on angel of the Lord. There's a lot of Old Testament scriptures that really points to that uh, possibly being Jesus Christ uh, before he came in his human form. So we'll skip ahead, and we're going to go to verse 24 and 25 of chapter 13. It says, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahneah, Dan, between Zorah and Ishtal. Now, Samson, I looked it up. I was like, this has got to be an awesome name because it's given to a warrior. It's given to this guy. It's going to bring salvation to these guys. And I looked it up and because they didn't have it here. Usually in the scriptures when it's an awesome name like that, it has it. Went back and checked it out and it means of the sun or sun child or bright sun. So what we can take from this is that Samson was the first hippie, okay? Just saying. He had dreads, <laughs> right? He had the long hair, and he was called Sunchild. I mean, how, how much closer can you get? It made me laugh when I saw that. I was like, all right, whatever. So that was his name. Um, right away, we get a C in verse 25 that the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move on upon him. And this is something we're going to see throughout Samson's life. We're going to see that the Spirit comes upon him to do the work of the Lord. Even though there's other people that are not seen and they don't understand that this is what's going to segue into the Lord using Samson. And uh, that's what ends up happening. And there's even times where he goes and defeats the Philistines when the Lord, it doesn't say that the Lord came upon him. And so an interesting thing that we'll look at as we go through and study this. So... Let's go into chapter 14, and let's see the first compromise. There's going to be six different compromises that Samson does that leads him to blind slavery. And that's just like sin in our lives. And so as we go through this and study, look at your own lives and see, am I giving little compromises up that's got me into the sin that I never thought I'd be in? I mean, how many times have we ended up somewhere and we're like, how in the world did I get here? We never take that one jump clear over into you know, total despair into the, into the prison where we're grinding away at the corn, where we're blind and we're a slave now to our enemy. We never just take that jump, but there's a process that goes there. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So there's six different compromises that we're going to look at that Samson uh, went through before he ended up in that exact spot. And then I love the last part of the story because we get to see the grace of God, right? I mean, that's, that's the best part. So... First compromise, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no other woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me. Or if you guys have other translations, it says that for she is right in my eyes. Okay, lust. All right, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And so our first compromise we see is he's lusting after a woman that's not even a part of their nation. Back in uh, Deuteronomy, um, oh no, I didn't write it down. (laughs) 
Back in Deuteronomy, if you guys want to know later, I'll, I'll make sure I get you the scripture, but it talks about the, the children of Israel separating themselves from the other nations around them. And it tells the parents, don't marry your children off with the other nations. Okay? Some people argue and go back to that scripture and say, well, that was just talking about the Canaanite people, the different tribes of the Canaanites. But it was a whole. God didn't want them intermixing. And right away we see Samson, he's going into another town of the enemy. Okay? He's flirting with the enemy. He sees this woman he really likes, and that's his first little compromise. Now, we could easily go into it and be like, well, you know, is this really, is it that bad? He isn't doing anything. He's saving himself for, you know, he's just, he's, he just likes her. He just likes her looks. What's wrong with that? But you can already see he's flirting with the enemy, isn't he? You guys see, it's just a, it's just a tiny step. And this first one, I mean, we could easily say that there's, there is no sin there. There's nothing really wrong with that unless you go back to, Stay away from the enemy. Stay away from marrying or marrying with them, right? Because they'll turn you away from the Lord. That's why he didn't want it to happen. So this first little step he takes in there is just a little thing. Now, it's got to break his parents' heart. I mean, how many of us have raised our children to seek after the Lord? We've been through horrible things in our life before Jesus. All the compromises we did, that pit of despair that we ended up in, and we don't want to see that for our children, right? So we raised them up in the Lord. They did it from his birth. Even a part of it, as far as she was keeping herself and keeping that Nazarite vow. And then all of a sudden, her son comes to her and just breaks her heart. I want a woman of the other nation. And they try to reason with him. No, why? Why would you want an uncircumcised Philistine? Isn't there any women around here that you would rather be with? Heartbreaking, right? That first time that your child says, I want some of the world. I know you've taught me and you raised me up in this, but I want some of that. It's looking pretty good. And all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, Lord, <laughs> please intervene. Please show them that that is not satisfying. Show them that that ends in a bad spot. My heart breaks for these guys as all of a sudden Samson comes to them and asks for that. Second compromise we see is verses 5 through 9. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion uh, came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So then he went down and talked with the women, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion." He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of a lion. Second compromise, what is he doing? He's eating an unclean food. Now, honey in itself was a clean food, but he's taken it from a dead carcass. Okay, well, you know what? We can excuse this. Honey's not against the law to eat, and it's not a dead person, Right? It's just a dead carcass. You've got to kill an animal, so that's okay. A little bit of compromise. You could reason in your mind, yeah, that's, it's not that bad. But you have to ask the question, why didn't he tell his parents? He knew. He knew right away he shouldn't have done that. That's why he didn't want to share what it ended up happening when he took that lion. But also, as a young man, think about this. I mean, any of you young men that could tear a lion apart like a goat, would you guys be pretty stoked about that? He'd be like, let's go. <laughs> I got this. I can kill lions now. So looking at, well, maybe the Lord's blessing me. 
Maybe it isn't so bad that I'm seeking after this Philistine woman. I mean, look it. I got, God gave me strength to tear apart this lion. And there's sometimes in our lives where we'll start excusing the sin or the compromise in our lives because we still see blessing in our lives. That we think that if God is against me, I wouldn't have blessing. But we have a loving Father. All of us that are parents here will still bless our children even though they've done something against us or done something to harm themselves. We still want to bless them. It comes to a point where you drop the hammer and it's like no more. And we will see that with Samson. But we have to be careful in our own lives and what's happening. That we're not just taking this compromise of these little sins out and saying, it's okay because I'm still being blessed by God, so it must not be that bad, or it might not even be a sin, right? It's a scary place to be. He still was going and longing after that foreigner for a wife, and he's still strengthened by God and able to kill that lion. Next, compromise. And we'll see two compromises in this one. So the third and fourth compromise in verses 10 through 20. Verses 10 through 20. So his father went down uh, to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So it was a slave thing, and they didn't want the Israelites being there, so they actually brought these other Philistine guys to come party with him for this, uh, this wedding ceremony. And so that's why they added them. Verse 12, then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days, they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? And Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have possessed, or posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father or mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while her feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day, and he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, pretty harsh words here, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. <laughs> then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Okay, crazy stuff that's already happened in Samson's life. I mean, it just went full throttle which is what happens when we jump into sin all of a sudden in our lives. It's on. It's going to happen fast. So what happens is he decides that I'm going to go ahead and marry this wife. So that's his other compromise. He goes through with it. He marries a Philistine woman, something that wasn't supposed to happen, especially he's separated unto God as a Nazarite. I mean, it's like double whammy there. Then the, la- the other compromise that he has is he goes and he actually takes the clothes off the dead person, right? Now you might be thinking, well, they just died. So is there a time frame there? 
that you're not allowed to touch a person. Like if it's been an after a half hour or whatever. This is when we're going to go back over to Numbers. You guys turn over there for with me. Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. Verse 9. It says, and if anyone dies very suddenly, this is given the commands of the law of Nazarite, and if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle meeting. The priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in the first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because the separation was defiled. So right there in verse 9, if anyone dies suddenly right by him, it defiles him. That's what's going on. Well, he just killed 30 guys, didn't he? Somebody had to get the clothes off of them. They didn't have plastic gloves back then. So he probably touched a dead body, just saying. So he's compromising. He's, get, you know, he's thinking about himself. What's got to happen here? These are the things that we need to go through. Um, oh, that verse, I found it finally. I wrote it in the wrong place. Deuteronomy 7, 3, and 4 is where it talks about not intermarrying. So he's intermarried with this other woman that's not a part of Israel. And he's going down a slippery slope now. And now he's going to start seeing some consequences happening, right? Well, this first part that we get to see is that he's a sucker for women, that cry a lot, okay? <laughs> he just totally submitted. He went in there. Now, I understand. This is miserable, okay? Mind you, because he's supposed to be a, a fun seven days, right? You're going to have a joyful time. And the whole, every time you go to see your bride that you're excited to marry, she's crying. It's not very much fun, is it? And there's a time you're just like, please, help. I just want to stop it. Like, I, I just want to have fun with you. First three days, I could handle. This is getting pretty bad. Stop. Let, let's get through this together. And she, she says that she would not stop crying to him. And finally, he says, look, I haven't even talked to my parents about this. Why in the world would I tell you? And then he understood, oh, I better get this right. <laughs> so he ends up explaining the whole riddle to her. And then, of course, she betrays him. Isn't that just like the world? I mean, it's so many times that the world would come and, and just beat on your door, beat on your door, do this, do this, do this. That temptation is there. We cry out to the Lord first few times, we're doing pretty good. And then as we continually walk away slowly from God and just that presence in his scripture, like he says, to stick in it, it becomes harder and harder to ignore that knocking or that crying, right? And the next thing we know, we're submitting to it. And what does it do to us? It betrays us. We trust in it. We think, well, this is going to be, give me a good time. This is going to help my future. This is going to do this for me. I'm going to be a better person because of this. I'm more accepting in this way. And I end up getting burned in the end. And this was the first time that he saw this in his life where he, what he was giving himself over to ended up not working out. And he gets betrayed by his new bride, this woman that he fell in love with, and she betrays him. So he's ticked. Right? Verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily. He went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men and took their peril, and he brought the change of clothes back to them. And then he ran away. He's like, forget this. And so what happens to his wife? 
Not only did he get betrayed by his wife, but now no longer is it his wife, right? All of a sudden, it's given the companion to his best man at his wedding. Ouch. That's the world. It will do that to you. It hurts so bad. And you think that after you get hurt and those consequences come through on whatever you've given yourself to, you think you'd be like, I'm never doing that again. That hurts so bad, I will never do that again. But we always go back. It's always this next thing. Okay, I can do it. I can do it better next time. I'll be stronger next time. I'll be closer to the Lord next time. And I'm sure there's things going on in his head like that. So you've got to come to that place where it must not be that wrong if God is still blessing me. I mean, he's that place again where he goes and kills 30 guys. Not just guys, but soldiers. He goes and kills these Philistines for their clothes. He has to be like, hey, everything's still good between us. But don't be fooled. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I think this is such a neat picture of Samson's life and and just how we relate with it now that we're in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 it says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's our life. We are laid in Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself would be saved, yet so is through fire. Looking at his life, I mean, if you put Samson up against that, it's like everything he was building up in his own life was what? Wood, hay, and struggle, right? Just ready to be burned away. And we actually literally see his father-in-law and wife get burned away later and what they do. I mean, very literal what's going on here. Then the next verse says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that? To know is to experience, Right? Do you guys know that you're the temple? Do you know that the Holy Spirit's in you? Samson did. I mean, he could go out there and kill all these guys, kill lions. It's very physical, very in front of his face that he had that. Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And last verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone, anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Don't let anybody fool themselves. I think that Samson was in a place where he was fooling himself. Where it's okay. I'm still being blessed. Things are still going on. It's still okay. It's not that bad what I've done. It's actually okay because I see God's fruitful blessings in my life. Things are going okay for me until he comes to this place. And you think that this would be a perfect opportunity for him to turn. But I'd ask you guys, in things that are going on in your life, like what are you guys watching? What are you guys watching? So a lot of things you can say, well, that's okay. Netflix on this video is all right, and then the next one I'm going to watch this one, and, and then the next one is a little bit more intense, and then all of a sudden it gets into this crazy perversion, and I'm watching this series that is completely contrary to God, forgetting that I'm the temple and that the Holy Spirit's residing in me. All these horrible little, I don't know what they would be, like the series that have come out that are just disgusting. I've never seen any of them, but I've heard of them, like Game of Thrones. Just gross. 
Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know what are the new ones. I'm sure there's some newer ones out there. There's even ones that the kids have gotten into is like, uh, I can't remember the one that talks about the kid committing suicide, the 13, 13 Reasons. Is that what it was? You know, these ones that even our kids are getting into and they're watching and binge watching through these things. Well, why? I mean, that's a compromise in itself. When you let that stuff and you entertain it, it's like this stuff doesn't affect me. It's okay. Yeah, there's a little bit of nudity in there, but I'm a mature adult. I can handle that. Well, who are you? Do you really know that you're the temple of God? Don't fool yourselves. Like what is said in 1 Corinthians. What about, what, what about the debt that you're in? And the things that you keep wanting to collect, the things that you, you tell yourself you need, and it's okay because God's blessed you because you can make that payment for that month. You know, and then at the end, it's like, how in the world did I get here? How did I get so far away? I, I, I made it. I was never going to do that again. I cut up all my credit cards one time in my life, and now look where I am again. That compromise. What about attitude to your spouse? I used to love them so much and talk to them in such endearing ways, and now they annoy me. That when they try to serve me, I'm disgusted that they didn't do it in the perfect way and read my mind and how I wanted to do it. But hey, you know what? I'm hungry, and that's just the way I am when I'm hungry. <laughs> Excuses. And as you drive your spouse further and further away from yourself because of your attitude towards them, which you get to the place, you're like, how did I get here? How did I get here? I love them so dearly, and it's been a process to get to this point where now I am annoyed by them. My sweet love, I am annoyed by them now. How did I get here? It's that compromise with the attitude. How much time is spent with your Savior? Hey, you know what? I used to be all the time every day. It was so good. You you turn, guys. Awesome opportunity every day in the Word of God. What's it going to look like when you get out? Don't compromise. All of us. Any of that time that you've given to the Lord, and it's been such a sweet time of God, well, hey, you know what? Family, family is really important to me. So I've got to spend time with them rather than do this. Uh, first fruits to God, yeah, that's other things in my life, like sleep now. <laughs> that's, that's where I need to put that. But where have you gotten with God and your time with Him? How much have you given up? And time spent with family even. And I think this is an interesting thing. There's a lot of downer on, on the younger generation for technology, but there's a lot more kids out there that have lost their parents to technology. That the times they used to have together, the parents are on their tablet, they're going through their YouTube, they're going through Pinterest, they're going through Facebook. Looking at all these things are taking time away from their family, and they're there. And some of you may have gotten to that place, like why in the world am I spending this many hours on this device when my kids, now they come and sit by me in the living room because they just want to be around me. How did I get to this place? I love spending time with my children, and now here I am, it's about me again. And just watching out where our time is spent, is it with the family? And last one I have is, and this was very personal with me, is like, and I don't think many people talk about it because it's kind of a cliche thing. What are you eating? What does your life look like as far as that? If you're a temple of God, what are you doing to your body? What are you putting into it? What are you consuming? Do you care? I mean, that was a very personal thing for me because all of a sudden I saw myself and I'm like, holy cow, I, I, no, I no longer desire good food anymore. I like trash. And it was a slow process to get there. All I wanted was eating out. Shelly would make a great meal for me. Guess what? I wanted to go and have another burger from that disgusting, I think it's gross now. Thank the Lord. <laughs> but coming out of that, and I saw a process of, it wasn't just like jumped into that. It was this process I'd given myself over to and getting super overweight and feeling bad and start getting into other diseases and stuff like that. It's not good. So even in that, 
And these ways that we can look at, so it's not just a thing that Samson went through, but it's a thing we can look at our own lives. What have we compromised in? And we're at a place now wondering, how in the world did I get here? Or we're still in that process. Be careful that you're compromised. That you repent right away. Go back and don't just look at the blessings in your life, but look at how your walk is slowly slipping away from your Savior. I need to get back to that. Samson should have stopped right then and gotten back to that. It was a sad deal that he didn't. Some verses, if you want to go ahead and put those up there, Brandon. Matthew 26, 41. This is a great verse. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We know this is right where Jesus was talking to his disciples, right? All of a sudden, they're sleeping when they're supposed to be out there praying. And so Jesus gives this example. Well, you guys want to know the answer? How you don't fall into that? How you don't compromise? Right there, Jesus gave it to us. Another one we were given through the Holy Spirit is in Galatians uh, 5.16. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Awesome verse to memorize. Great verse to memorize. I was always wondering, like, how do I get out of this sin, the sin that keeps entrapping me? Well, right there. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you want answers, there they are, right? Plain as day is Scripture. Now, verse 20, back in Judges, says, And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. The world enemy could care less about you. Right? Has no interest in you whatsoever, except for to destroy your life. That's all the enemy wants to do. He wants to take that testimony away from God and how you are shining his light to other people. He wants to take everything and strip it of you, and that's how it goes. Let's go ahead and read on in chapter 15. Verses 1 through 8. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. It's kind of like a peace offering. And he said, that was their flowers back then, by the way, goat. I think it would have been funny for Mother's Day. We have a bunch of goats out there. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) He said, let me go to my wife into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. His father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her, therefore I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall, not, I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Yeah, you know, been there, done that, right? <laughs> 300 foxes. And he took the torches, turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of the tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the uh, shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyard and the olive groves. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of Timnite, uh, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh, the great slaughter, and then he went down and dwelt in the cliff rock of Etam. And so we see again, rather than deal with the consequences for his sin, which we see this right here, I mean, it was a hard thing he had to go through. A crazy thing that he had to go through. Instead, he doesn't repent. And it says in verse 8, it says, so he attacked them, hip and it doesn't say anything about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him like it did in verses 6 and 19, right, of the chapter before. 
Go over to Psalms, well, we'll have it up here. Psalms 119, 9 through 11. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Another one. I hid it in my heart so I wouldn't sin against you. That word of God is so important. It's all that he had to do. Especially if you're going to lose somebody that dear to you and in that horrible way, right? But he continues. Verses 9 through 13. Now the Philistines went up and camped at Judah and deployed themselves against Leah. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. And we'll skip ahead just a little bit, but ends up that they get all these people and it was his own people to go and capture him. This is one of the hardest things that the enemy would do. The enemy usually attacks from without, right? Comes at you from everything outside. And one of the best ways he attacks you is with your own family. Church family or blood family. That's where it hurts the most, doesn't it? That's usually the most unexpected because they're supposed to be loyal to you and all of a sudden, bam, you're down. William Carey, if you guys know him, he's the father of modern missions. He was the first uh, missionary sent out from Britain to go to India. Uh, they say that he's probably the most uh, influential man as far as missions concerned since Paul. Awesome story about this guy. He lost two children before he even went on the mission field. His wife didn't want to go with him on the mission field. She went last day. Basically, she's like, okay, I'll go, because I'll probably never see my husband again. They get there. Seven months after they're there, they lost their firstborn son, five years old, sent her over the edge. She's crazy. For 12 years, she would constantly follow after him and say that he's cheating on her, and she was insane. He had to lock her up in the house. Crazy story. Finally, she dies. He has to bury his wife goes through all that, has years of, of work in translating the scripture into the language there, the whole place burns down where he had this. Years and years of translation, the printing press that took forever for him to get over there, gone, all this loss. Near the end of his mission, there's three young men that come, came from the missionary organization that he set up back in Great Britain. They come over and they start seeing that he's not doing ways that they think that modern missionaries should be doing they knew everything as they came into this culture, and they started bagging on him and the other guy that was his right-hand man. Then they sent word back to the mission about him and basically stabbed him in the back. And the mission started questioning what he was doing out there, if it was valid and what he was doing. This is years after him working his, and losing all this. In his diary, he said that's the worst thing that ever happened to him. After all those other losses that he'd gone through, the worst thing that happened to him was his own brothers coming and stabbing him in the back like that. That brought him the most pain. After all the work he did and it was burn up, still that was one of the worst things that happened to him. And so the enemy comes in on Samson and hits him right in his kidney, right? Just punched right in the back, saying, hey, we're going to take you. So Samson doesn't want to fight his own people, of course. He says, okay, let me live. Take me in there. I'll be bound. This is where we get to see the famous story of him taking out these Philistines. So pick him back up in verse 14. When he came to Leah. Uh, the Philistine came shouting against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon, so the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and the ropes that were in his arms became like flax, that is, burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands, and he found a fresh 
jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've slain a thousand men. And so it was that when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramath Leah. Verse 18, then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now so, or now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place, that is in Leah, and the water came out and he drank. And his spirit returned and he revived, therefore he called the name in Hakor, Hakore, uh, which is Leah to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Okay. This is one of those amazing stories. A thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey, right? Crazy story, what is going on. This is the, what's even crazier to me is this is the first time that we get to see him speaking to God, right? As we go through this, we don't see any interaction between him and God. Just the Spirit's coming upon him. He does the work that he's supposed to do, and now he's going to speak to God. What does he first say to him? You've given me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now I shall die of thirst. I mean, you, you get thirsty. Have you guys ever wrestled each other or wrestled your kids or anything like that? You start breathing hard, right? You're, you, it's pretty intense, a thousand people, a thousand, a thousand armored soldiers take them out with this bone. You're going to be a little thirsty at the end of that. Probably where you're going to feel like you're going to die. So he cries out to God, and it just makes me laugh because it sounds so much like Israel, right, out in the wilderness. If you brought us out here away from our enemies that will die of thirst. Like that's the first interaction that happens between the two of them. That's where we can see that his heart is, is that, yeah, give me these powers so I can go on and I can do these things that I feel I need to conquer. It's a sad relationship that he has there with the Lord. And so it ends up, though, that God is faithful and awesome and gracious that he gives him the water and breaks that rock right there. Now, into chapter 16, to finish this up, we see the fifth compromise. In verses 1 through 3, it says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come there, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night in the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, the two uh, gateposts, and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. (laughs) They locked him in is what happened. They closed these gates, and he's like, Yeah, right. And he lifts them up, the posts and everything, takes off with him. But the sad story is that we left him in chapters 15. It looks like it's good, right? So then he judges them for 20 years. Well, the next story we catch up with is he's looking for a harlot. He got lazy or he got into a place where he had idle hands. In Ecclesiastes 10.18, go ahead and put that up there. It says, because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. It's a great verse because it talks about what happens with our lives if we're not keeping up with the Lord, right? You get this idleness that happens, all of a sudden your house is leaky. Or the other way, it says the building decays. It actually is talking about the rafters start sagging. We know that a house takes upkeep, any of you guys that own it. Like you're always throwing money at it to keep it upkeep. Well, with our own lives, we need to be throwing spiritual things, things of the Lord at it to keep the upkeep. Can't just let it go there. Can't just get saved and be like, good, good to go. Don't need to do anything else here. It's all good. We're going to have a building that decays in a leaky house. Not a good thing. And I think that's what ended up happening to him here, is that's why he ends up compromising again. It looks all good, and then he goes back to what he was in before and goes to this harlot. It's a bad move. 
in verses 4 through 20. We're not going to go through all of this. We don't have the time to. But the sixth compromise is that we see him getting involved with Delilah, right? In Colossians 2.8, it says that you want to watch out who's around you. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. Something we need to watch out for that we're not getting cheated by these people. Now, Delilah, what ends up happening with her, she got a great offer from these leaders. If you go and you guys can read through it later, but in chapter 16 and verses 4 through 20, she had an offer and the amount of silver that they were going to give her, if you weighed it out today, if you just did the weight value of silver today, it'd be about $55,000. But if you look at how much they made a year, usually they made 90 shekels a year. They gave her enough money to live 61 years. So equivalent today, she's basically paid off $3,721,000 to sell out Samson. There was nothing there. There was no love relationship. There was a lot of love that Samson had for her, but she was like, yeah, I'll make some money. And we see that as the process goes through and she starts selling them out every time. It's such a joke what ends up happening as he, she asks him, hey, what's your secret? You know, and he says, well, if you bind me with these little bowstrings, okay? Well, then she says, the Philistines are upon you. You think a guy would understand that she's got it out for him as soon as that happens. You can't trust this lady. So then she comes back to him and says, oh, yeah, you don't like me very much. You're going to tell me the secret? Okay, bind me with some ropes. They have to be new ones, though. Oh, the Philistines are upon you, snap. And it's like, come on, Samson, really? Like, <laughs> what's going on with you? This woman's out to get you. Finally, we know it goes to the loom, and he gets closer and closer to what really is going to take away his strength. I mean, as soon as he starts dealing with the hair, it's like, okay, he's starting to get closer. It comes to the place where she says that you hate me. You don't love me. We know that Samson was probably telling her that he, he loved her, right? That's in verse 15. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me and you've mocked me and these three times have not told me where your great strength lies? And he goes on and he says that I've never had a razor on my head. That's what will do it. She knew that he poured out her heart to uh, her and said, you got your Philistines need to get over here. And as soon as he went to sleep, she tormented him. It says basically it's just like his, his, his uh, strength was slowly taken away from him. This place that he'd gotten himself after that compromise, after compromise, after compromise, that he was so blind that even this woman, he keeps telling the secrets, knowing the Philistines, do you think there was a little bit of pride that was there? He had to know that she was going to call the Philistines. I think that he got to a place that he was so secure in what he had accomplished and not really seeing God anymore that he thought, even if the hair is gone, I still got this. Either that or he was a complete moron and had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and let her go ahead and shave the head. So we end up seeing him in verse 21. Then the Philistines took him and put it out his eyes and brought him to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. We see Samson come to a place where he's a blind slave. How many times has sin taken us to that place? We're blind to what's going on around us and we're a slave to it now. And we look and think, how in the world did I get here? The strongest man, a guy that's able to defeat a thousand guys in one, one time, however long it took, and yet now he's grinding the meal. He's, he's an animal. He's being used as an animal now to grind up their wheat. In their corn. It's a sad, sad place that he was doing. And I'm so thankful that the Lord doesn't just leave us there. He ends up bringing Samson out of that by the grace of God. God's grace is so awesome, isn't it? 
So we see what ends up happening with him here. He compromises up to that place. And then God brings him to a victory. He says, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry. They said, Call for Samson. They may, he may perform for them. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed between pillars, and Samson said to the lad and held him by the hand, and he says, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I should lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson. Now here's where we see Samson the second time he cries out to God, a much humbler man, and just asking for God's blessing. Sometimes God has to let us go to this place that so we'll call out to him in complete humbleness and realize that he is our strength and our weakness. He says, O oh Lord, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O oh God, that I may with the blow take vengeance on this Philistines from my two eyes. Samson took hold of the middle pillars which supported the temple. He braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that, ki- that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his whole life. And his brothers and all of his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ishtar in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. The worship team wants to go ahead and come back up. We'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and 58. I just want to encourage you guys. This is our lives right here. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of that, because we have victory in Jesus Christ, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't become stagnant or idle, right? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that it's not vain in the Lord. What a neat place that our victory is in Jesus Christ. That no matter where we've gotten ourselves to, no matter how far we've gone down, God's still there. And the last verse I want to leave with you is is 2 Corinthians 12.9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love that last part of Samson because we see ultimate weakness in a man. I mean, he says, Lord, please remember me. He's blind. He's you being used as an animal. And we get to see God's strength. Therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast of my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. Just remember, wherever you guys are this morning, if you're on that path, that slow compromise, stop right now. Don't go as far as he did. Stop. Come back to him. He's ready. That grace that he wants to pour out. If you're already in that deep hole and you're like, I can't get out of this because I have so much shame. Shame is keeping me here. If anybody ever knows what I'm doing or it's revealed to them, they're going to think I'm a huge fake. Well, I hate to tell you, you've already been a fake. It's just facing that you, that's being honest with yourself. That, hey, you know what? But Jesus Christ wants to redeem me out of that. Are you guys going to let him? Are you going to let him do what he wants to do in that work that he wants to do in your life and that payment he's already paid for you? Are you going to let him have that lordship and that authority in your life? Come clean. It's an awesome time to do that. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you afterwards. And if you guys would like to do that with them and talk with them, awesome people, it's totally confidential with them. And they'd love to pray for you and just be able to walk through this with you. It's a neat place to be. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. 
Thank you so much, Holy Spirit. I just ask you just convict us and, and show us those things that are in our lives that need to be brought out so that we can come back to you. So, Lord, that we can be a part of you, can be those children you've called us to, that awesome price you've paid. And, uh, Lord, that you could rule our lives like it's rightfully yours to rule. And uh, I just thank you so much for these guys coming today. I thank you so much for the mothers again. Lord, I pray just be a blessing today as people worship you and are excited about you. And, uh, Lord, that we could just be that light that you've called us to. And we just want to bless your name today. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.